Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. More questions for RTE as a new report finds that an exit package for a senior executive was not agreed by the executive board. There's also heated exchanges in the Dáil as Sinn Féin calls for the TV licence to be scrapped and replaced by direct exchequer funding. Your government should not chase thousands of people through the courts for non-payment of the licence. Will you abolish the TV licence, yes or no? Are you suggesting people not pay the TV licence in that interim period? Also on the programme, CEOs of the biggest tech firms face a US Senate grilling over harms their products are causing young people. I know you don't mean it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. And we've the latest from Brussels on the deal reached to restore power sharing in the north. Media Minister Catherine Martin has said a report into RTE's voluntary exit programmes demonstrates what she describes as an appalling disregard for the principles of equity, fairness and transparency. The broadcaster is back at the centre of controversy again today over the exit package of its former chief financial officer, Brida O'Keefe. Staff were told today that this wasn't cleared by RTE's executive board, but was agreed by the former Director General Dee Forbes. Well, joining me to discuss this are Fianna Fáil Senator and member of the Oireachtas Media Committee, Shane Castles, Sinn Féin TD and member of the Public Accounts Committee, Rose Conway-Walsh, Elaine Burke, tech journalist and broadcaster, and by Larry Bass, CEO of Shinawil. You're all very welcome along uh, to the programme tonight. We heard what the media minister had to say, an appalling disregard for the principles of equity, fairness and transparency in the treatment of, of staff. Um, and this goes to the heart, I suppose, of the governance issues at RTE. Shane, what's your response to it? Absolutely. I mean, we were meeting today as a media commission. You're thinking to yourself... How many more things can go wrong with RTE in this long-running saga? It's an awful pity that Tai Show the Musical got made because we could have done RTE the Musical at this stage. We could have brought Tubbs home. We could have appeared on guest appearances. In all seriousness, it goes to show again how, you know, another institution in this country was ruled with an iron fist by one person. We've seen it previously at our own committee where, you know, John Delaney had total disregard for the board when he was running the FAI and the mess they were in and the subsequent bailout of their predicament. And here again, we have the same thing with RTE mm -hmm. and the manner it was run and the disregard, not just for the board, but indeed the executive board in this case also. Uh, and that is the most disconcerting thing in the terms of this severance package that wasn't then agreed by the executive board. And I mean, I've heard this evening as well, obviously, D Forbes hasn't made a comment uh, due to her ongoing illness. I've, I think I've heard on the, on the news this evening from the, uh, the camp from uh, Miss O'Keefe or whatever that it was an RTE issue. 
But at the same time, she was the chief financial officer. Mm. She was on the executive board. Yeah. Surely she should have known as well that these yeah. things were not being done in the right and proper manner. Uh, uh, what we heard from Kevin Backhurst was that the report accepted uh, that the, the failure of this exit package to go before a board was a mistake by RTE, not by Breda O'Keefe mm -hmm. in this regard. Mm -hmm. We also heard a spokesperson for D Forbes saying that she was not in a position uh, to comment at this yeah. point. But in this regard, I suppose we, we have we have not got we have not got any comment or point of view on any of this from um, D Forbes. How soon are you expecting clarity on how this happened? Because we have the report saying it <laughs> happened, but how it happened and why it happened. Absolutely, and I suppose that today at the media committee we have um, agreed to bring RT back in again. They're coming in at Valentine's Day, and in that respect, the agenda is obviously what does going that to do. Say? I mean, you're saying February 14th. There's nothing in that, is there, Shane? I show a lot of love to all of the witnesses that come before me, right. and I'm sure all the other members will as well. When you think about the items on the agenda for that day, it is packed to the gills yet again. We thought we were going to move to draw a line under this before Christmas. Kevin Backhurst was announcing the restructuring plan, and we thought we were giving RT the space to move ahead with it. Instead, we've now got an agenda that's dealing with the Grant Taunton report in terms of the title of the musical. We've got the issues pertaining to the severance packages. We're also awaiting two more governance reports mm -hmm. from the Minister we herself. We were expecting these reports, and we were expecting this report that RTE, um, it's an RTE report commissioned, commissioned by RTE mm -hmm. uh, and carried out by McCann Fitzgerald. Absolutely. We were expecting this. Absolutely. But suppose, again, when you hear it and when you hear the level of breach of trust that existed, okay. it just takes you back once again. And it takes you back to the broader discourse then about RTE's place and its trust within society. And I would give Kevin Backhurst great credit for the job that he's trying to do in re-establishing that trust with the public. He has been a very genuine player in that respect over the last... Um, eight, nine months that he's been dealing with us. But the, the task is mammoth in front of him and indeed the organisation itself. And, and Kevin Backers was at pains to say, you know, this won't happen again. But nonetheless, he had to stand in front of staff today and explain that it did happen. And the, for the public to, 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 see, to see this report in a, uh, an exit package that's claimed to be in the region of around €400,000, Rose. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's like peeling an onion. And every layer you go through, we're seven months later now since this started with <coughs> RTE and more and more. Just when you think nothing else, surely everything else, everything must be on the table, then something else is revealed. And that's absolutely astounding what was revealed today. For a decision like that to be made without going through the executive report, I mean, the level of dysfunction, uh, incompetence and just sheer craziness that was happening in RT. And I feel really sorry for the staff who are in RT who are being paid really modest wages around this. But then we're getting conflicting uh, messages as well for gov for, from government. I mean, the, the, I suppose the huge issue here is around the funding mm -hmm. of public service broadcasting as well and public service media and the report that has been on the minister's desk for the last two years. And we hear Catherine Martin saying one thing, then we hear Pascal Dunhu saying another thing, Michal McGrath saying, another thing and then the Tisha coming out saying that the model uh, is from another time and what people want uh, you know people want clarity around this and people want certainty and people want to know what's happening they want a decision and they want a de yeah. decisive decision to be made around right. the, the future of, of funding uh, the, the funding of, of media and, and we media. will get we will get on to when that funding decision may be made uh, we are also hearing um, from government that they are awaiting two more reports from RTE uh, this month 
before we hear any more on, on what a funding model will look like. But Larry, I, I just want to get your reaction to those revelations that have emerged today um, in this report about golden handshakes and, you know, major... Um, Rose mentions, you know, she feels sorry for the staff in RTE. Uh, it's not just staff in RTE that has suffered because of multiple governments <coughs> not making a decision about uh, the proper funding of public service media in Ireland. And, you know, the Future of Media Commission was published nearly three years ago now. Uh, Professor Brian McRae headed up a report. The answer is in the report. It's cost hundreds of thousands of euros to be published. Um, and in that, it says that, you know, the, uh, public service broadcasting should be funded from the Exchequer. And they didn't, you know, take that uh, notion out of thin air. They looked at uh, what's happening right across Europe, what's happening in other states. And the fact that we already have public service funding direct from the Exchequer for TG Cahar. So the, the sky is not going to fall in. And saying, you know, I listened to Minister Pascal O'Donoghue who's saying he can't have, you know, multi-annual funding coming out of the Exchequer to public service television, you know, and having it competing with funding for education and the HSE and hospitals, but that's a red herring. Can you see, the amount of money we're talking about is... Can you see, Larry, how, sorry, th these, these conversations are maybe difficult now when you're looking at, you know, people bypassing the rules and, you know, new revelations emerging you know, by the day as trust, we're talking about. Trust is everything in, in public service media. And that's why we need proper funding where the public service media organisation <coughs> in Ireland has become so uh, relying on other funding because it's not getting public service funding, that you have all of these breakdowns in governance, breakdowns in management, breakdowns in, in running what should be a correct uh, and fundamentally important part of our uh, economy, important part of our public discourse. And at a time when it's never more important to have proper public service discourse, we have this dysfunctional yeah. uh, scenario where the license fee is out of date and we need to get on with making a decision. We have the Taoiseach coming out and now supporting it. The Minister uh, Martin is coming out and supporting it. Um, and uh, today, um, the leader Sinn Féin is coming out and supporting it. Why can't you just get on with it? Okay, I've well, been calling for it, been getting on with yeah, it for nearly 10 do, years. Um, look, maybe there, there, are, there are still uh, differing views, um, even around the Cabinet table on it. Let's just have um, a little uh, look at those views. Earlier at Leaders' Questions, Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald questioned Green Party leader Eamon Ryan about the future of the TV licence, given the Taoiseach's comments that it should be replaced by direct exchequer funding. Here's a taster of that. Your government should not chase thousands of people through the courts for non-payment of the licence. Will you abolish the TV licence, yes or no? We will provide an alternative funding mechanism. I do not expect it to be a continuation of the current licensing system. And the exact details will have to be agreed with government before I can give you the final answer on that. Can you give similar clarity? You're paying your licence. Would you encourage Sinn Féin supporters to also pay theirs? Are you suggesting people not pay the TV licence in that interim period? Because if you do, I think that would be very damaging and dangerous. Because we do need to keep that funding to keep it through. Uh, can I ask you, Rose, is that what, uh, what, what Eamon Ryan was suggesting? Saying, you know, is Mary Lou Macdonald suggesting that people don't pay their TV licence? Is that a fair characterisation? Not at all. She's, she's not suggesting that at all. And the question is for Eamon Ryan is there wouldn't need to be interim funding or an interim situation if they didn't sit on the report for three, almost three years. 
You know, that's why we need decisions to be made. But what we're saying is, obviously, that, that it should be paid out of the exchequer, that you have to abolish the television licence. And as was said, um, that was the recommendation within in the report. And I certainly think that that would work. But because you get in so many differences within government, as you do for so many issues, they need to sit down and make up their mind and get around the table. Because it's not only the staff within RT, but the people who have paid, like, what's the 221 million that was paid in television licence? Licenses. This is money that people desperately need themselves. And they've been asked to pay over money and, and to all this dysfunction. Yeah, no, it's not Elaine, right. to bring you in on this, and we mentioned at the top of the programme, but another report out today and what it's saying about, you know, golden handshakes and very hefty goodbye payments. Um, and, you know, with these major issues around transparency and governance, do you think, um, I mean, what is the impact of this on viewers, but on, on licence fee payers? I mean, that's how that all was borne out in the Dáil today. You know, why is the government chasing uh, money from people for their licence fee um, in this scenario when we're trying to get a grip on, on RT funding and yeah. on the RT scandal? Well, it doesn't help when RT is the news. You know, they're meant to be a provider of the news. It's one of the services that they do. Um, and as Larry said, like trust is really important when it comes to public service service broadcasting and the current situation with what has happened at RTE has eroded that trust and they have now seen a massive shortfall in compliance with licence fee um, payments. But there was already a shortfall in compliance with licence fee payments. So this isn't actually a new problem. It has been exasperated as absolutely by recent developments. But the Future of Media Commission was it looked at lots of things about Future of Media. It didn't just look at this issue, it made 50 recommendations and the licence fee recommendation was the only one that wasn't immediately accepted. And I don't understand the equivocating around it because this predates the issues with RTE and saying that they're waiting on reports coming out of RTE doesn't actually really hold water. Like this is, was a problem before then, it continues to be a problem. And across Europe, uh, of the members of the European Broadcasting Union, the majority of them do a direct exchequer funding model. So saying that it doesn't work or that it would have too much political influence on uh, broadcasting doesn't really hold water either. And as we see, we have precedent with TG Cahar getting that kind of funding as well. I mean, can we talk about that, Shane? I mean, we keep hearing it's outdated, it's archaic, it needs to be changed. And yet the government is clinging on to the TV licence for dear life. Yeah, um, Rose mentioned there that, you know, the, the people themselves desperately need the money in their own pocket. Well, let's take, for example how RTE does make up its money because it's not just from the TV licence fee. It is also from a huge amount of commercial income from the ads, the same way Virgin Media would do. And it's something in the region of €152 million. Euro. Are we seriously suggesting that we're just going to turn around and say to RTE, no, we're going to just fund you from the taxpayer and we'll do away with that €152 no. million that's just coming away from the commercial income that's not going near no, ordinary people's ever pockets. Said. No, no, I can, no, can I just make that point as no, well? OK, so in terms of what we're doing here, we have to look at how RT is funded. I don't accept, Larry... Sorry, can I just get clarity? You're yeah. saying if it's exchequer funded mm -hmm. that there can be no commercial entity, there can be no commercial no, I, 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 wing to RT. I'm saying there's many aspects to how RT makes up its money. You have the commercial income. If you look at the models that Larry spoke about across Europe and those that move towards directly, such as I think it was the Finnish model or whatever, they have got rid of their actual ads of television. So it is a case that if you're calling for that, we have to have clarity from Sinn Féin as to whether they would take that away. And the other point as well is, the other point as well, Rose, is, is as well, in terms of people saying that the government caused this through, um, you know, not giving enough money into RT, the government did not erode public confidence in RT. The government didn't cause the Tuberty scandal. No, no, no. Well, what we about have, the 49 we, of the 50 
recommendations Absolutely. being Absolutely. done except for Ab that one single recommendation Absolutely. that says, and the, and you know the, what, it should be exchequer funded. It, is it too hot a potato? No, absolutely not. What I'm saying, but, but what I'm saying, um, Claire, is that the government don't have to accept the recommendation. Sure. Just because the recommendations are put before them does not mean that they have to accept that. And they are going to come forward before the summer recess with the funding model that is going to be in introduced. And so Sinn Féin and everyone else yeah. will have that clarity, as well as RTE. Okay. And when RTE yeah. needed money no. before Christmas, it was the government that came forward to keep ser public service broadcasting right. alive yeah. because yeah. it was needed. I, I absolutely, need to, I, yes, I absolutely need to clarify that because Shane, I think, doesn't understand uh, our, our proposal around it or our policy around it. And that is absolutely... So there's nothing wrong with having the commercial aspect of it. That would continue. What we're talking about the exchequer funding for is the part that's being paid by the licence fee at the moment. And the important thing is both of those then must come under the controller and auditor general. And that happens because simultaneously, yes. that you are, you are exchequer funding, it's part of the yes, budget every can. year, and yes. yet there's this sort of yes. commercial yeah. wing to it Absolutely. There. Do you see any issues with that? No, I don't. That's, that's Larry, that can't. Larry talked to us about has. that, that no dual-funded model. Yeah remaining while the money's coming out of, I suppose, state coffers. That's TG Carr's funding. Yeah. Oh. Today. All right. So uh, I guess the question is, do you, do you believe that's better than, I mean, if it's not going to be uh, exchequer funded, then you're looking at the likes of a, a broadcast levy or it coming from revenue. Do any of these other ideas uh, hold water, do you think, Larry? I, I've heard a number of things float. I've heard more things floated in the last 10 years about particular funding. Um, I'm delighted to hear Shane saying that government might be coming out some before the summer. Why wait? You know, mm. just make a decision. Well, can I answer that, Larry? Because in the context of this isn't just about RT anymore. This is far broader. We've had Virgin Media before our committee. We, in the last uh, three weeks, we've had all of the radio stations in Ireland come before the committee as well, as well as the newspaper industry only last week before the committee. Why? Because all of traditional media is in trouble. Yeah. Why? Because advertising revenue is plummeting as well. When you look at the total spend of advertising revenue in this country for newspaper or for newspapers, mm. for radio and TV, it comes to little around 450 million. And where it's is it 850 going? million to online going services. To Facebook Absolutely. So Absolutely. Are you saying if there's an exchequer funding model in place, you feel you'll have to give a little bit to everyone? Is that, is that it? But, because, well, Virgin certainly are asking for an, an equitable uh, share mm. of that fund. The newspapers are because they're going down the, uh, the drain as a, as a viable so business is it, source. Is it then you're wondering, you know, how, how, how you're far going you to, can stretch the pot. Absolutely. But it's not going to be anywhere near the budget that's afforded to health or to housing. Well, we have a situation where the newspaper industry, the radio industry and the TV industry are saying their funding model is broken. So, I mean, we're not just going to put it on the back of a postage stamp and say, well, we have to make projections. When you look at what income was for RT in commercial revenue mm. 10 years ago, it was around 250 million. It's shrunk to 150 million. We have to make sure that with the funding model that's in place not just looks after RTE for the next five years, we're talking the next 50 years. And also... The newspaper industry is extremely important to me as someone who worked in it. I want to make sure that that industry survives as well and that we have reputable journalism yeah. because if we're having to rely on social media content okay. for where we get our information, God help us all. OK, well, it seems then everyone is, has the, the begging bowl out of government then to, to, to help them out in this regard, um, Elaine. Like, are they in a pickle? Is it more than just a, a political pickle here? Yeah, I don't think we're actually that much in disagreement. Like, Shane obviously agrees that the funding model doesn't work. 
So a change needs to be made and a decision needs to be made. And we've been waiting for that decision for a long time. The Finnish model that was mentioned earlier is one that's actually explained in detail in that Future of Media Commission report. And uh, Finland has a similar population to Ireland. So you see license fee models, people tend to say, oh, well, the UK survives on a license fee, much, much bigger population. Italy, Germany, they have license fees, much bigger populations. Finland is much more comparable to Ireland. They have a very progressive tax the way they do it. So actually people under a certain income don't pay anything at all. And corporations actually contribute to it as well. And they've recouped 500 million euro with that tax system to fund Resume their public service broadcasting. Raised objections, uh, Elaine, in, in respect of that, in terms of making that specific for the media and not being part of general taxation. But we keep and hearing everything's, on the ta everything's still on the table. Well, Is everything still on the table? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm not sitting in the Cabinet, but I know from our position in terms of the media committee and what we have said to, to Minister Martin and indeed to the Taunasa and the Taoiseach, you know, what has been established today is we are going to have an announcement before the summer, and that's the most important thing. All right. Oh, we need to stop scapegoating RTE, RTE executives, uh, grandstanding around it, allow uh, time for the broadcaster to put their house in order. And I think Kevin Backhurst, uh, the uh, current chair, are getting that work done. Absolutely. We need to, that work to get on with and stop scapegoating political grandstanding around something that obviously people are interested in. Um, and people do want uh, proper public discourse. So make the decision, yeah. get the funding done, and let us move on to having... Do you having... think it's right to await um, the outcome of these you know, two further reports? Can't let that Peter off the hook that, either, though. That, that, uh, that, that we are no, waiting but for No, I, I mean, I haven't seen the same amount made. of public discourse um, by politicians onto the spending on the children's hospitals they have in the RTE. Absolutely. So there are things where there's way more money being spent in this state that doesn't get the same level of public in input. And, you know, because more people will tune into Oroctus TV to watch uh, a committee looking into RTE than, frankly, health, uh, education or other matters isn't a reason to, to actually do it. You know, so... Are you dragging it out, Shane? Absolutely not. I mean, if, if we weren't going to have a scenario where those who are actually in charge of the public money aren't answerable to the Oroctus committees that they are answerable to, I'd be in here and you'd be rightly... Do you think we've got much clarity to date? I think we have. I think we've put a lot of information into the public domain and I think we've seen a lot, a, a lot of change happen at an executive level because of the actual probing and the work being done by the committees. Right. And I think, in fairness, Larry might say that, the committees have come in for a lot of acknowledgement for the work that they have done studiously over the last eight months in respect of this and particular issue. And I don't issue. disagree, but I think it's time to move on. And, and get I wish we could. Done. I wish we yeah. could, Larry. Just um, you're on the Public Accounts Committee, and you know, uh, in terms of questions, and uh, okay. Yeah, I'm actually I'm public expenditure spokesperson. Public expenditure spokesperson. So, all right, yeah. look, it's all Go about on. the money, though, yes. isn't it? Yes. Um, but um, look on on that matter, Rose. Um, like, what would you expect now in the in the in the in the next couple of weeks? We may actually get details before um, RT executives are back in front of a. February 14th, um, you know, Dáil Committee. What, what may, may we expect then? Yeah, I don't think we have to be waiting at all for the outcome of either of those two reports. I think that has to be dealt with. There has to be accountability. Changes are happening within RTE. They have to happen quicker and there has to be complete honesty and transparency around what that's doing. But that doesn't stop the government sitting down tomorrow morning, making a decision that they should have made in the last two and a half to three years, certainly around the future uh, model of funding. <coughs> that certainly can be done for the element 
that people have paid for in their licence up to now, which was about 221 million. I think it was 185 million that went to RTE. I accept that there's a broader issue here, but it shouldn't stop that decision being made. We need clarity. We have to stop dragging people through the courts. Thousands of people through the courts and the backlogs in the courts as there are. The judges have enough to be doing and people have enough to be doing without having to deal with all, all of right. this. We may be waiting yet. Um, we'll have to see how that plays out. We'll have to leave it there for now. My thanks to Rose Conway. Walsh and to Larry Bass who joined us. Coming up next, tech CEOs face a grilling in Washington over social media harms. Do stay with us. Welcome back. Chief executives from five of the biggest tech firms have testified in front of a Senate committee in Washington over the harms that their products cause young people. CEOs from Meta. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. TikTok X, Snap and Discord were grilled over whether their company's online platforms enable the spread of child sexual abuse material, expose young people to physical harm, and enable extortion from minors. The tech companies defended their records and touting the tools they have brought in to combat the issue. However, their platforms were compared to guns and to tobacco. Uh, Mr Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean to it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. I ask you this, there's families of victims here today. Have you apologized to the victims? I've, Would I'm, you like to do so now? Well, they're here, you're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? And we actually did hear apologies uh, today. We're going to talk more about that. We're also taken by uh, Lindsey Graham saying people have blood on their hands, given him being uh, very strongly of the gun lobby. But there he is, um, you know, hauling Mark Zuckerberg over the cold. So it was uh, very interesting what we heard today. But Elaine, on this, um, you know, we heard some strong words from Senator Dick Durbin at the start saying their design choices, their failure to adequately invest in trust, and safety, constant pursuit of engagement and profit over basic safety. They've all put kids and our grandkids at risk. Yeah, and I'd arguably say it's like not just children who are at risk of how recommendation systems and algorithms kind of influence what they see. Um, 
you have to think of like these systems are often designed thinking of a perfect ideal user and no one actually behaves like that. So they assume that an engagement is always a positive. Um, but engagement can mean that you watch something but didn't like it. You watch something uh, that actually wasn't good for you to watch. Um, and in the case of uh, some of the things that were mentioned in the hearing today, there was one 16-year-old who uh, is thought to have uh, died by suicide uh, after seeing a lot of uh, videos about suicide on social media platforms. And their account remained active. And to this day, even after their death, it's still being recommended that kind of content. And that's the nature of these systems. They're built to just see all engagement is a positive and therefore you want to generate more engagement. So you serve up similar content and it can trap people in a loop. And if you're in maybe an unhealthy headspace, it can trap you in the loop of the things that you're consuming in that headspace. Yeah, what I sensed from there was because we could hear it like the whooping and hollering in the audience and that was from families and victims who'd come together and, and support uh, the legislators in really pushing uh, these tech firms and trying to get a hold to account. Um, was there an acknowledgement of harms um, from, you know, tech CEOs? We heard the CEO of Snap apologising, saying, I'm so sorry we have not been able to prevent uh, these tragedies. Mark Zuckerberg apologising to families of victims. No one should have to go through the things that your families have suffered and that's why we invest so much. I think he was talking about these counter AI systems. Yeah, and then they were asked directly the number of moderators they have for each of their platforms and Meta said they have 40,000 moderators. They run platforms that service billions of users. Mm. I don't believe those numbers faithfully add up. And TikTok had a similar number, 40,000, and Snap had 2,300, and uh, X had 2,000, and Discord had hundreds, unspecified hundreds. Yeah, so I suppose on the ratio of, of what is available to view and the number of viewers out there, that number of moderators um, doesn't appear to go nearly uh, far enough. Razan, um, like when it comes to this, are we are we likely to see more regulation come from it? Yeah, we should, and that is what we uh, we've been calling for uh, to have regulations and to use algorithm in a more positive way, in a more democratic way. For example, algorithm uh, influence um, how content is being filtered, selected, and most importantly, how content is being recommended. Uh, to people. Um, our action on the platform, how we engage uh, time spent on the platform, usually um, affect the algorithm. Mm. How is that? Everything we like, comment, share, even when we scroll down our mobile phone and you pause for a few seconds on certain content or video, algorithm will memorize <laughs> and scan this behavior and then tailor a content that would actually match what we prefer, what we want. The danger in that, for example, if we are, if you watch by accident a video that is complete conspiracy theory, the next one will be the same and third and fourth. That will bring people to a rabbit hole of content. What we want to see is more democratic algorithm where a counter narrative is being uh, recommended, not only the right, same okay. kind so of algorithm. Of, um, you know, them taking for granted that or seeing that any engagement is an engagement that you want to see, 
it, it would be that they show uh, the flip side or the other side or the bubble that you have, you know, the, the other, the other, the other rabbit hole, if you like. So you don't get stuck down one track. Absolutely. Which, which is what happened, where, where we, where we are hearing all these often tragic stories from. I mean, Richard, in your line of work, is that like, are you seeing that playing out? Are there, are there? Kids, families, I mean, as Elaine said, like not, it's not even, it's not even children, um, you, you know, people who just, I suppose, get fixated on, it, they're getting fixated on content online because it's being fed to them. Constantly being fed to them, Elaine, or Claire, like, like Elaine was saying, it's, it's so hard to sit clinically. You know, I'm a family therapist. I sit with families all the time. I sit in a national advisory council for parents and for schools. I'm around this all the time. And you're hearing you know, what, what, what you're watching there, a bit of grandstanding and all that kind of apologising. Nothing's going to change here unless we bring in robust legislation. Uh, and, you know, uh, Jeremy Godfrey was the new regulator working on like, pornography. And, the, and I hear him saying that he, it's not going to be exactly prescriptive. Going, it has to be prescriptive. It has to be robust. It has to, why are we so weak on this? Our children are suffering. I mean, if you sat in my clinic and you see teenage girls who are so consumed with every little minutia of their appearance, I sit with it every day. It's very hard mm. to sit with it. And hear a 15-year-old girl tell you that she absolutely hates how she looks. And you're looking at what she's consuming and you're, you're seeing how they're being fed terrible ideas about perfection and filtered lives and false lives and false narratives. And they're constantly being fed. If you're, if you're having a low episode, and you, you, you consume something that, about maybe, say, depression or eating or whatever it is, self-harm, you're going to be swamped with negative ideas around that. You're going to be given so much material on that. And so your brain is going to have negative recall anyway. In adolescence, you're probably more susceptible to these algorithmic practices. It's devastating, Claire. I mean, it can really drench a child with, with yeah. negative ideas. And I'm just taking by what Mark Zuckerberg um, said um, about the link between social media and mental health. He said the existing body of scientific work has not shown a causal link between using social media and young people having worse mental health outcomes. Yeah, but should they say this about cigarettes in the 50s? You know what I mean? This, of course, he would They say were at pains. They're at pains to say in the mm. 50s that smoking a cigarette is good for you. No, but that's really important to challenge that, Claire, because I sit with it every day. And that, that is rubbish, right? That is absolutely rubbish. We know the Attorney General came out last year to say the devastation that social media is having on kids is, is paramount. And we, we, he said we have to immediately react to it. And we, we see it. I mean, look, 1.1 million kids on Instagram under the age of 13, and they've only got a fraction of that off their, <laughs> off their platform. They don't want less. They want more. And so we have to come in here and we have to robust legislation to protect our children. And enough is enough here. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure and uh, rightly so on, on, on responses from um, the big tech firms, a lot of which, uh, which are headquartered here, as we know. Mm -hmm. um, Shane Castles, you know, you, you do have interaction um, with um, Meta, uh, with your place on the media committee. What have they been saying to you about this? Can I first of all just say that, they you know, that that commentary by Richard there is, is obviously very powerful and he's so right and he's dealing with children professionally every day. We, we actually, when we were working on the, the online media bill, we made sure to bring students in as part of the discussion as well, not just adults mm -hmm. and indeed representatives of student bodies because they, as you rightly said, are the people that are being harmed here, both in some cases physically mm -hmm. and in many cases mentally as well. And Elaine quoted the amount of moderators that Meta, Facebook are using, 40,000. So we met today with Meta, actually, at the media committee. We met privately with them for a number of hours mm. with our policy content team uh, and how they're dealing with all of this. They quoted that 40,000 figure to us. But I, they've what got did you say? But they've got 3 billion users. 
So what Three did you billion say when, users, when, when, you know, when obviously they're 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 working on a system that now is becoming obviously highly automated as well, and 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 the kind of triage system that they will use to try and filter out and make sure that harmful content isn't actually shown. But there's two. So it doesn't relate to the fact that they have forty thousand moderators. They're now saying, look, we've got AI. We've got we've got AI yeah, programs I, to do the job for us here. Yeah, but then again, because then there's different nuances within e each country as well, where something that is harmful in one or offensive in one isn't in another. So you know you're trying I mean, to there, work. But there does seem to be general themes that we've heard uh, concerns about. I mean, we have sixty organisations here mm. making a submission to Commission Naman. Mm -hmm. You know recommending improvements around this this draft code and Absolutely. talking about these um, algorithms or recommendation systems. But there's two things at play here. So we're discussing, and the, the US Congressional Committee today was obviously discussing in terms of online harm, online abuse. What we're discussing is the actual targeting of people uh, targeting of people in terms of whether it be conspiracy theorist uh, items, whether it be indeed in terms of products, whether it be in terms of self-harm and re re repeating that. And that is more dangerous uh, as well before we would even get into the online harm and the online abuse. There's two major bodies of work here that's being dealt with. And okay. just to add something here that, like, once we open our mobile phones and go to any social media apps, they start generating money from us. And they do that by targeted ads. Um, and in general, our behaviour is, as well, they want us to stay the more on the platform so they generate more money. And how uh, is that? It's by algorithm that is designed to make people engage with maybe toxic content, engage with uh, some like, uh, like controversial, extremely con controversial topics, etc. So the more we stay on the platform, Stuff the more money they make. You, you, can't, you can't look away from. Absolutely. And especially children. You know, once our children put these phones aside, platforms, they don't generate money. So we need just to be really, really careful. It is unbelievable, important topic, but that's, especially the impact that's on what, children. That's what infinite scrolling was designed to do. Infinite scrolling is designed to keep oh. children flicking, 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 but flicking, not, flicking. Not children, all users. And but the all users. But, yeah. Regrets yeah. inventing infinite Of course scroll. it does. Of course, <laughs> if you, saw, if you see the devastation of it, you'd have to regret it. You'd have to look at yeah. like Oppenheimer and say, look what we've done here. <laughs> We've fucking destroyed worlds. We've destroyed yeah, worlds here. It's just an AI, though, as well, to solve this problem. Okay. If AI was working, why aren't we seeing the effects of that? There are still videos of active shooters that are, can still be found online. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, you should be able to digitally fingerprint those uh, videos and be able to search and find them and take them down as quickly as possible. But yet they're still available. So if automation worked so well, why are those knownly to be harmful and should not be shared online videos well, it, well, still there. I mean, the question is there, I suppose there's editorial uh, control, like there's a human behind the wheel of AI. Um, are there editorial decisions being being made there, well, the, the thing is, those videos, that's why I cite those videos in particular, those kind of active shooter videos, they definitely are trying to scrub them from their platforms mm. and you can still find them when you search for them, and, like if you search deeply enough. So if automation was working, the stuff that they are apparently always trying to take down wouldn't be there anymore. So automation is obviously not the silver bullet mm. here. Mm. It's not an, a good enough assistive technology to empower 40,000 people to moderate the content of billions. Okay, right. Richard, I want to talk to you then about, like, I suppose, what, what we are asking of, of the new online mm. regulator, um, who will have you know, powers um, this year um, and, and is here, uh, I suppose, to work to make improvements in this area. Um, what should they be doing as a matter of urgency? Urgency for me is um, identification and age for pornography. 
that for me is a huge ill that's out there. I, I, I work with this as a, with teenagers, with, with couples. Mm. It's a huge problem. And in pornography is embedded into all aspects of technology and all these social media platforms, it's all over them, right? And so it's not like, will your, will your child consume? They will consume pornography, whether they want to or not. And it's not like it's pornography of the 90s, whatever. This is hardcore BDSM extreme material mm -hmm. that they're consuming, satiating normal curiosity with very, very hardcore explicit ideas that we do not want our children consuming and thinking. And so they need to come in, and this is where I'm really disappointed. We've got this new regulator. He came out with a new report saying that they're going to really bring in legislation. But then at the end of it, there's always a little sting in the tail. We're not actually, it's not going to be too prescriptive. It's like saying we're going to bring in some laws around alcohol, but we'll leave it up to the vintners to decide how that works. That's not how it should work. It needs to be robust and it needs to be prescriptive. And we need to make sure that these social media platforms are called to accountability for what they're doing to our children. Shouldn't we as a, a state be ensuring that it is uh, uh, prescriptive, that it is pointed and it does force uh, tech firms, as I say, who, who are based here, um, you know, of, of great benefit, must be said, to the, to the state coffers, uh, to do something? Absolutely. And as I said, I would, I would share uh, Richard's sentiments completely. And I've echoed them myself, both in the chamber and indeed at committee as, as well. Um, also the point that Elaine made in terms of the removal of content, the turnaround time in doing so is just appalling. I mean, they're quoting averages of 48 hours, which in itself is appalling, mm. but they're no, getting nowhere near that as well. And when you look at the scenario where you have got billions of users and the pro rata in terms of those moderating, and if the AI systems aren't working to pick those up, we've got a problem. We've got a big problem. And I don't think we've, we've heard the last of this because they're a very prominent part of our society now. This is now a societal debate. It's not just about the placing of tech giants. It's a societal debate that's impacting on our children as well. Yeah, I just wonder how much, um, you know, push there is. We've had panel discussions on all mm. of this before. We've heard concerns of parents. We've heard, you know, testimony, mm. like you were saying, what we're hearing from the US today. Again, slightly different subject, but on a, you know, it is, it is around the issue of, of responsibility um, of tech companies to do something. Are we likely to see legislative change? We have come, are, and we are have, we likely mm, to see stronger rules in absolutely. place and, and enforcement? As you said, we've had panel discussions. I've been peer, part of you um, with them as well. But we've come an extremely uh, substantial way as well in terms of establishing the commission, establishing the commissioner, bringing in the legislation, dealing with it at committee. So we have done an, a, a significant amount and I wouldn't be dismissive of that all Anyway, okay. but I do agree with the panellists in terms of what has been said in terms of the strength of that. That has to be forceful. OK, well, there we'll have to leave it. Uh, my thanks to my panel, to Shane Castles, Elaine Burke, Razan Ibrahim and Dr Richard Hogan. Coming up next, Junior Minister Peter Burke gives us his assessment of the DUP deal to restore power sharing. Do stay with us. Welcome back. Details have been published of the deal agreed between the DUP and the UK government, which will see the return of power sharing in the north. And the deal, which would see an end to post-Brexit checks on goods moving between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. And it would ensure the smooth flow of goods within the internal market. Well, I began by asking Peter Burke what this meant for Ireland. So the first thing I think it's very important to get the devolved institutions back up and running in Northern Ireland, also to get the other strands of the Good Friday Agreement working again, and that's the North-South Ministerial Council, which is very important that we are talking to our counterparts in Northern Ireland. 
But what has happened here, really, I think the key decision was back in January 2023 when there was an agreement on data sharing. And what we mean by that is that the UK Customs and Exercise agreed to share its data with the EU. And what that meant for the European Union and the single market is that they could see exactly the profile of goods that was coming in through Northern Ireland. And when you can see what's coming in, you can assess the risk. And the more safeguards you can put in, the more flexibility. So obviously the Windsor framework uh, evolved from that. And further, as time passes by, more goods are coming in. You can see exactly the profile over a period of time. Obviously, there's changes now coming through, which the Irish government received this morning uh, in terms of the command paper, an 80-page document, a number of statutory instruments that have to be implemented by secondary legislation in the UK. And we haven't seen any significant concerns as yet, but our legal team in the Department of Foreign Affairs are now going through it in detail to ensure that it is in agreement with what we were briefed upon by the UK government and indeed what the European Commission uh, has uh, agreed upon as well. Okay, so one of the big reasons for the, the Irish Sea checks was to stop goods potentially travelling to the Euro area, um, i.e. here, uh, over land. This is what the green, the green lane and, and, the, and the red lane idea was all about. Um, will they still be in place? Or is there a, a risk now that you know, things are going through without routinely being checked, that this is down to trust from all partners? Well, there's always risk, but when you can see what's coming in, it's intelligence-led, and that gives the EU the opportunity to assess what that risk is. And when the risk is significantly small or it's not material, well, then that's paved the way for them to agree to this agreement. I would point out, I think it's very important, that once you can assess the risk, obviously the Green Lane items are items that are going to remain or for end use within Northern Ireland. And uh, through this new agreement, it is hoped that they will encompass about 80% of the items that will go through the new uh, checks uh, in terms of or the new basket, should I say, that there won't be significant checks on. But the other items, the other 20% are more higher risk items, which could potentially come into the European single market. And there's a horizon to continue infrastructure uh, in terms of SBS checks for those items uh, into the future. So it is improved in terms of the frictionless trade for items that will remain in Northern Ireland for end user end consumption. So I, I suppose from the Ireland's point of view, do you see, you know, overwhelmingly that this is of benefit to everyone? I mean, look, bottom line, power sharing is back. But beyond that, are there any concerns in, in the EU, in Ireland, about potential vulnerability to us here? Well, absolutely. It was key to get the uh, Northern Ireland Assembly back. And hopefully on Saturday, that will happen because we saw last week 18 different uh, unions out in strike. We know how much the public service is struggling, health services under significant pressure in Northern Ireland. So that was a key priority for us. And we had demonstrated that political commitment with the Taoiseach and Taunish that they're working on the ground with the five party leaders. And obviously that is very important. On the other side, so looking at a European context where I do, sitting down on the General Affairs Council uh, with my uh, 26 other European Affairs Ministers, which we will be approving this deal in time when it comes before us. It's important that the single market is protected and the vehicle to do that is the European Commission. So they will have went through this with a fine tooth comb because they are the original parties to the agreement, the European Commission and the UK government. And obviously the Irish government will be feeding into the Commission to ensure that the Irish interests are protected 
that you have a frictionless border, that north-south trade is so important and the all-island economy is protected. I think it achieves all of that. All right. OK, Minister, I just want to take you to where you're at now, uh, this EU summit, where they're trying again to secure funding for Ukraine, having reached a deadlock. What's Ireland's position and what's your expectation about what's going to happen? So it's been a very difficult European Council meeting before Christmas. And really, at this point in time, we're trying to get agreement in what's called the multi-annual financial framework. And that's a review of that budget. Uh, there's currently about 50 billion euro that we're looking to get for Ukraine. Of that 50 billion, about uh, 33 billion euro is for uh, loans to Ukraine, 70, 17 billion euro in grants. And we're trying to get agreement for all 27 European member states that would they would act together in a unified position. That wasn't possible at the last meeting. And we heard over the last number of weeks, uh, Hungary looking for a review mechanism every year. And obviously, I think that would be detrimental to the whole EU community because it would almost uh, put a bargaining chip on the table uh, every year. So we're trying as hard as we can. The Taoiseach uh, was at a dinner this evening, a working uh, dinner with a number of the colleagues, a number of the European leaders trying to push for that unified position. And we will be hopeful tomorrow that we will get that. But we are not out of the woods yet. And that's the big concern because Ukraine needs certainty and Putin's game is a long game. We see in the United States in a geopolitical situation whereby uncertainty is rife. We see in Europe now that it's getting a little more difficult. And that's what Putin wants. So we need to be clear that the conditionality that Europe had at the start we're here for as long as it takes counts, and we want to achieve that tomorrow. Very well. P Minister of State for European Affairs, Peter Burke, thank you for joining us on the programme tonight. Thank you, Claire. And that's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok. But from all the late team here, good night and do take care. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.